All right, let's open our Bibles together to uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Isaiah, chapter 1. I'm not sure what page will that be in the Bible pews. Um, Do you have one handy? Okay. Isaiah, chapter 1. We're going to read 10 verses together. Isaiah, chapter 1. The very first chapter in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse... uh, Let's read from 10 to 20, but I really want to stop only at verse 18. But when we read the whole passage, we're going to have the background and understand what exactly Isaiah is talking about. So Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Amen? All right. By the way, there's child care outside, if that would be distractive. Okay. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Here is what God is telling his people. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ears to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, as we go, I'm just going to make some tiny explanation to know what's, what's going on. God is just calling the nation of Israel at that time, metaphorically, that you are Sodom and Gomorrah because they sinned against God. So this is not literally Sodom or Gomorrah because they have been destroyed. Verse 11. To what purpose is the multitudes of sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. God is saying, you keep bringing me sacrifices and offering, which he commanded, actually. This is what he said in the Old Testament. If you want to be cleansed, bring a sacrifice. But God is saying, I'm tired of these sacrifices. I don't want it no more. Verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? The sacrifices. To tremble my courts. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Incense is what they use to burn the sacrifices. When you read about it in the book of Leviticus, God says that this is sweet aroma to God. But now God is called it, it is an abomination to him. The new moons, the Sabbath, and the callings of the assemblies, I cannot, and the reason here it is, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred Meetings. I cannot even tolerate you anymore. That's why God is telling his people, because you have sinned. Your new moons and your new appointed feast, my soul hates. These are the very festivals that God commanded. And God is saying, I hate it. I don't want it no more. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands to pray... I will hide my eyes from you. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you have made many prayers, I will not hear. And here is why your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And then here is the verse that I want to share with you a little bit today. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. So once again, the context here is 
Israel as a nation, they were sinning against God, but in the same time, they were trying to offer sacrifices and please God. They were trying to have it both ways. And God was saying, you know what? I'm just tired of this. I don't want your sacrifices, your prayers, your offerings. I don't want it no more because it's mixed with sin. And then he pleads with his people in verse 18. And he says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen. From that verse, I just want to highlight three things that we learn about God from that verse. Three things that we learn about God from that verse. Number one, we learn that He is a God who seeks us. Okay? Number two, we learn that He's a God who comes down to us. And number three, He's a God who can cleanse us. Okay? So let's try to memorize or Say again these three points. He's a God who seeks us. He's the God who comes down to us. And he's the God who cleanses us. Let's start with point number one. He's the God who seeks us. Let me ask you a question from that verse. Who's starting the invitation? Who's starting the invitation to have that dialogue and be cleansed? Is it the nation of Israel that is seeking God from that verse as we see and saying, Okay, God, we do sin against you. Come now, God, please be gracious to us and let's figure out how can we be forgiven. Is that what the Bible says? No. Who's initiating the conversation here? God. He's saying, come now. Even though they are the sinful ones. Even though they are the one who broke his law. They're the one who should be seeking him, but no, it is God who's seeking them. He's saying, in spite of your sins, come now and let us reason together. God is seeking after his people. And you know what? From Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see that God is the God who's searching and seeking after the lost. Amen? In Genesis 1 and 2, God presents himself to us as the magnificent creator, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, he says, let there be light. And guess what happened? Light comes. He creates, he just say a word, and things come to existence from non-existence. Amen? This is how powerful he is in Genesis 1 and 2. But guess how God is presenting himself in Genesis chapter 3? Right after he presents himself as the powerful God, in Genesis chapter 3, first thing we read about God is, God going after Adam and Eve after they have fell in sin. And the Bible say in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 8, here is what it, well, here is what it says. Genesis 3, and, and they heard Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, 8 and 9. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God is going after them. He, they heard him coming after them, trying to find them in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. Who's running from who here? God is just trying to hide away from Adam and Eve because they sinned? No. He's going after them. And they're running away from him. And he's still going after them. They run and hide. And he's going after them. He's chasing them. He's seeking after them. And he's calling Adam, Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where Adam is, but he's seeking and searching for those who are lost. This is our God. This is the exact same God who told Ezekiel 
to tell the nation of Israel, to, who told Isaiah to tell the nation of Israel, come now and let us reason together. I am seeking after you. And that very God who searched for Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, who pleaded with the children of Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, guess what he did in, in the New Testament? He came himself to us so he can seek and search for that what is lost. This is what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 19, we read this very interesting story about a short guy named Zacchaeus. Okay, And the Bible says that Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. I want you to follow this, okay? So Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus was a short man. He could not get through the crowd. So what did Zacchaeus do? He goes to a sycamore tree. He climbs on it. And he's waiting for Jesus to come, right? And Jesus comes through. And he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down today. I must stay at your home, right? And he goes and because Jesus entered his home, Zacchaeus got convicted, and he restored the money that he took unrightly. And the, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And then he says, for the Son of Man has come, why? To seek and to search after that which is lost. You see, the whole story you think it's Zacchaeus searching after Jesus, right? He's trying to find Jesus. He can't get through the crowd. He's trying to find different ways to see Jesus. It seems throughout the story that Zacchaeus is the one who's trying to search and find Jesus. But Jesus was saying, no, Zacchaeus, you have not been trying to seek and search for me. I am the one who have been trying to search and seek after you. Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, you might have traveled two miles to try to see me, but I came all the way from heaven so I can seek and search after you. Amen? This is our God. He seeks and searches after that which is lost. Even though this, that which is lost, you and me, can be very sinful, very far away from him, yet his love is just so overwhelming. He doesn't care. He's still going after us full force because he loves us and he wants us to come back to him. Amen? Come now, says the Lord. He's the one who's seeking after the lost. But number two, he's the God who comes down to us. Look what he told the children of Israel. He said, come now and let us do what? Reason together. Now, if you want to reason with somebody, what do you do? You sit down with them, right? You go to where they're at and sit down and start having a conversation. Now, this is God Almighty. This is the creator of heaven and earth. And he's saying to the children of Israel, whom we just read about, that they are very sinful, right? They try to have it both ways. And God is saying, you know what? I know you're very sinful and your heart is very wicked, but I'm still willing to come down and sit and talk and reason with you. He's the God who comes down to us. Amen? Let's read that scripture, this fascinating scripture in Psalm 113, verse 7. Psalm 113, verse 7. This is what King James read. It talks about God and he said that he raises up the poor out of the dust. The needy out of the dunghill. This word dunghill is also translated as ash heap or as garbage dump. Literally what the psalmist was saying here that God 
goes the, go, the God raises the poor, raises the needy out of the garbage dumps. Now, let me tell you something. These are my keys right here, okay? My keys are falling down. In order for me to raise my keys up, in order for me to lift my keys up, there is something I have to do first. Guess what I have to do? I have to go exactly to where my keys are, right? I can't just have my keys jump at me, right? I have to go down all the way to where my keys is and grab it, and then I can lift it up, right? And this is what God is saying in that psalm right here. That he reaches all the way down to the dust, to the dunghill, to the garbage dump, so he can reach out for you and me, so he can lift us up from our sins. This is the holy, magnificent God who created heaven and earth, yet he's so willing to come down to the garbage dump for you and me. This just blows my mind away. Let's read that scripture from Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 5 to 8. Look at this. Philippians 2, um, 5 to 8. Here's what Paul said. Let this mind in you, which was, let this Christ, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, who is this Christ Jesus? It says that who being in the form of God, he was exactly God. He was everything that God is. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't want to hold onto equality with God for his own benefits or his own advantage, but he made himself of no reputation. I like how the NIV puts it. It says that he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. Do you see? This is the one who is, can stand Toe to toe with God the Father. He's everything that God the Father is. He's equal to him. Yet this very one, this divine son of the living God, made himself nothing. And it wasn't enough for him that he made himself nothing for you and me. He made himself in, in no, had no reputation. He made himself nothing. And he took upon himself the form of a bondservant, a slave. And coming into the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross. It's not that Jesus came to be king over us or to be master over us. Even though if, we, if he would have done that, that would have been great humility. You know, I mean, he has... Millions of angels praising him. All the creation is praising him. He doesn't need the dust that you and I are. But he did not come to rule over us. Not even to serve us. But to be ransomed for us. He put himself down all the way to the shameful, disgraceful death of the cross. So you and I can have eternal life. Amen. I don't know about you. This is just blows my mind away that God Almighty can love me that much. Amen? He's the God who, what did we say so far? He's the God who seeks us. He's the God who comes down to us. And number three, he's the God who cleanses us. Look at the rest of that verse. It says that 
If your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. These two phrases are almost identical. I think God is just repeating it to emphasize the point that it doesn't matter how bad your sin looks like, I'm going to wipe that away. Now, I was reading a little bit yesterday about this. So apparently there is a worm that is called the crimson or the scarlet worm. And the way it works, I, I didn't know that, that this worm kind of cling to the tree when it's about to lay down its eggs. And the eggs come out. And this mother worm clings so hard to the tree that there is no way you can take it out of the tree. The only way you can remove it is you ha- this worm has to die. And then you form that, it forms that shell around itself. And the mother dies, and the baby eggs, when they hatch, they feed off the mother's body so they can grow. And when the mother's died, that crimson or that scarlet dye just bursts out of her, stains all the baby kids, the baby worms, and then the tree itself also is stained with that crimson or that scarlet. And it is so hard to remove. And this is what God is saying here to the children of Israel. He's saying that even if your sins are too hard to remove, like that stain that is impossible to bleach, I still can wipe the sin away and make it as white as snow. Amen? This is what he's telling his people. He's saying, I am the one who can forgive you. I am the one who who can take your sins away. I am the one who can wipe your sin white as snow. And this very God, my friends, who, came, who told Isaiah in the Old Testament that I can wipe away all your sins. It doesn't matter how bad they are. It doesn't matter how bad they look like, how sinful they seem. It doesn't matter how far you've gone away from me. I can take these sins and wipe it away. This very God came down to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus shed his blood On the cross of Calvary. Amen. And that very blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Has has power in it. That it can cleanse every single sin. That we have ever done. Amen. In 1 John 17. we We were just reading that scripture in the hallelujah time. What does it say? It says that the blood of Jesus Christ his son. Does what? Cleanses us from how many sins? All sins. Amen. There is no sin, there is no sin that is too hard for the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse. Amen? There is no guilt that is too hard for the blood of Jesus Christ to clean. Amen? There is no shame that is too hard for the blood of Jesus Christ to wipe out. Amen? It doesn't matter what you have done in the past. It doesn't matter if you lived a mortal life, it doesn't matter if you had an abortion, it doesn't matter if you're bound by alcohol or drugs or whatever the case is, whatever your past or your current situation sinful, it doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus Christ is still far much stronger than every single sin a human being could ever commit. Amen? This is good news. Listen to what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to this. Here's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to read from verse 9. I'm just going to read it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, revilers, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. This is bad news, isn't it? Because we all have done something within that range, right? This is bad news, but look at the good news. And such is some of you. No, the Bible doesn't say that. And such were some of you. Some of you were just like that. But you were washed. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? This is good news. It doesn't matter what you have done. You can be washed today by the blood of Jesus. And every single sin that you could have ever committed in the past, it can be wiped out so clean. Amen? And then when you do that, you can join those, the saints, the redeemed, whom, whom they have their cloth, cloth washed in the blood of Jesus. And you can sing with us the lyrics, this wonderful old hymn that says, There is a fountain. Filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Amen. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Ever since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Amen. This is our God and this is the power of his blood. He's the God who comes down to us. But before that, he's the God who pursues us. He's the God who comes down to us. He's the God whose blood can cleanse us from whatever iniquity, whatever sin. And he takes that stain away and make us white as snow. Amen? Let me just close with that thought. The last two verses of that chapter. Verse 19 and 20. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God told them, I don't care how sinful you are. I am willing to forgive your sins today. I am providing atonement. I am providing redemption for your sins. But now you have to make a decision. You either will be obedient to my voice. You're either going to come and going to be cleansed. Or you're going to be rebellion against my voice. You can't just hear the voice of God and do nothing with it. You've you got to do something. Doing nothing is you're refusing God's voice. If you're not going to act actively on God's voice, then you're passively denying and rejecting what God is telling you. And God is telling his people, even though I love you, and even though I don't care how much sin you have committed or what is your past looks like, today I'm willing to cleanse you. However, you have to do something in response to my offer. You either accept or reject. If you accept, you will be forgiven. But if you reject, if you are disobedient, if you are rebellious, what's going to happen? You shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Take God's word very, very seriously. All what you have to do is just obey. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I, I know I cannot 
cleanse my own sins, but I thank you for the blood of your son Jesus that can cleanse my sin. I come to you today, and I ask you to forgive me, come into my heart and change me, and make me a brand new person. And once you do that, that very blood of Jesus will come wash you clean, and you will become holy and righteous in the eyes of God. Your life will change. You'll go out of these doors a brand new creation. Everything will be brand new because this is how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Amen? Let's all close our eyes. Let's all stand and close our eyes and pray.